0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the Gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I love how the readings for this second Sunday of Lent awaken a sense of wonder, a sense of a world beyond our own. If I can put it this way, a mystical consciousness. So in the first reading, dramatic, beautiful, memorable, strange. Abraham enacts the ritual by which the Lord establishes a covenant with him. How important, of course, that theme is. But this covenant is accompanied by all sorts of mystical symbols. First of all, the mountain, the deep, terrifying darkness, the flaming torch, the voice from heaven, those are all mystical symbols. And see, they're signaling something, that Abraham is not making just a regular old contract the way he would with a a fellow human being. He's making a covenant with mm, this, this strange and beguiling and amazing and overwhelming figure of God. He's dealing with something that he cannot control, and he knows it. Something from a realm that's beyond this world. And then in the second reading... St. Paul talks about our citizenship in heaven. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul, uh, as a Jew, but was also a Roman citizen. So he was aware of a kind of, if you want, dual citizenship. And he's telling the first Christians here that your true citizenship is not here. What do you mean? Not my city, not my country? Yeah, that's what I mean. You're a citizen of these places, but that's not your true citizenship. Where is it? Paul says it's in heaven. Heaven is where we ultimately belong, where we truly belong. That's why the church fathers often called heaven the patria. Isn't that lovely? It means the the fatherland, the home country. I'm going home when I go to heaven. And Paul scolds his listeners and readers for being exclusively preoccupied with what he calls earthly things. And then, wonderfully, he speaks of the Savior of Christ who will come from heaven, this sacred place, this elevated place. And listen, I'm quoting now. Change our lowly bodies to conform with his glorified body. Well, what does that even mean? We're not entirely clear. But we know that Jesus is coming from a realm beyond this one where even his bodiliness, even his materiality, is at a higher pitch. It's transformed, transfigured. It's appropriate to this higher place, just as our bodies now are suited for this world of ours. Finally, Paul's suggesting, isn't he, that our familiar world this embodied world that we live in, is not the final reality. See, both these these readings are trying to shake us out of a kind of complacency. There's more to it than meets the eye. And then, most magnificently, we have the even more beautiful, beguiling, and strange account of the transfiguration of the Lord in our Gospel reading. Mind you, as in the Abraham story, we have the mountain, we have the darkness, we have the voice, we have the dazzling light, all spiritual symbols that speak of the breakthrough of a higher world. Look at the mountain first, by the way. Mountains in the Bible show the meeting place of the ordinary and the extraordinary. It's an elevation from what we're used to. It's a descent of the divine, and they meet on a mountain. Hence all the mountains we know in the Bible, you know, Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, uh, the Mount of the Transfiguration in the Gospels, the Mount of Beatitudes, et cetera, et cetera, Mount Zion, probably in the, in the fullest sense. What's the darkness show in both Abraham and and the uh, Transfiguration story? Well, it shows that we're not in charge. That's why, you know, closing your eyes is important in prayer, isn't it? Because you, you impose darkness on yourself as though to say, I'm no longer operating in the world where I feel real confident. I can see everything. I can move around. I can manipulate things. Suddenly it's dark. Well, you're you're thrown for a loop appropriately, as we always are in the presence of God. The voice well, that God speaks God is speaking, he's breaking through into our ordinary experience. You know, Vatican II, quite rightly, put a great stress on the implications of the Christian faith for this world. Commitment to social justice, concern for the poor, even an interest in in the planet that we live on. All, by the way, strongly emphasized by our current Pope, Pope Francis. And these are indeed concomitants of a lively Christian faith. Deeply believing Christians are indeed concerned for social justice, the poor, the planet, etc. However, let me stress this. Nothing in the Catholic tradition, including Vatican II, would ever sanction a forgetfulness of the properly supernatural preoccupation of Christianity. Again and again, the Bible reminds us we're only sojourners here, that we're passing through this world to a higher one. Now, again, don't, don't get uh, unbalanced here. It doesn't mean that now we're indifferent to the goods of this world. We are very interested. However, as Paul put it, we have our citizenship in heaven. St. Augustine said that we're on a journey through this world, but we shouldn't become beguiled by the ease of the trip or the beauty of the countryside we're passing through. St. Teresa of Avila said, everything passes, God alone remains. And so all these readings, I think, are lifting us up. They're compelling us to look higher, to be aware of a supernatural dimension. So let's go back to Paul's glorified body, because What the disciples saw on Mount Tabor was precisely Christ's glorified body. Suddenly he changed before them. It's, It's left beguilingly ambiguous, I think. He was transformed, transfigured. In fact, the Greek word is very close to metamorphosis. He changed in form. He became dazzling white, glorified. So what does that mean? Because it's not just about Jesus. It's about us, too. Because we're summoned to this heavenly place, and we believe we'll be given a glorified body like the Lord's. So what can we say about it? Well, if you go to my great hero, Thomas Aquinas, Thomas has a fair amount to say about the glorified body, based on the transfiguration story, but also based on the um, resurrection appearances. What will it be like? Thomas says, first of all, it will have identity. Now, what he means here is it will be the same body that we have now. Those in heaven, he says, will recognize us, and we will recognize them. We will see each other, know and recognize each other. Now, this is not to say that will be utterly the same. I know this is kind of a hackneyed, overused uh, image, but think of the caterpillar, what John Henry Newman called the grub. I love that. The caterpillar, which goes through a kind of trial of the cocoon. Think of this cramped existence in a cocoon, only to emerge as something altogether more beautiful And more powerful, the caterpillar becoming a butterfly now able to fly and looking like one of the most splendid things in creation. Would you immediately say, oh, that's that caterpillar? No, it might take you a while. But in fact, it is the same body, but now glorified, if you will, lifted up. Something similar, Thomas suggests, will happen to us in our glorified bodies. Secondly, he says, the glorified body will have quality. What does that mean? Well, it means that it'll be at the height of its powers, fully possessing integrity. You know, I'll speak to this now as I get older. And you remember, you know, when, I, when you're younger, when I was a teenager, I was in my 20s, um, you know, my body I could do whatever I wanted. I was at the height of my powers. I could play all kinds of sports. I could run or walk, you know, it seemed like forever. And then as you get older, we all know this, your body just begins to lose some of this flexibility, agility. It gets heavier. It gets less responsive. Your body begins to lose its powers. The glorified body, Aquinas says, will be full, integral, powerful. Beautiful, at the height of its perfection. Thirdly, he says, the glorified body will possess impassibility, unchangeability. It'll never change or diminish. Precisely what I was talking about, the diminishment of our powers is one of the saddest things in life. You know, when you see someone you haven't seen for a long time, like for 25 or 30 years... You think, oh my gosh, what happened to them? And Of course, they're saying the same thing about you, right? That's the problem. Uh, but in heaven, with the glorified body, we'll never have to worry about being less than what we are. Indeed, as the Bible says, every tear will be wiped away, like permanently. Sickness and death will not threaten us. Think about that, brothers and sisters. How much of our lives are, are diminished because we're always afraid of sickness and death? That won't be true in heaven in the glorified body. I love this. Fourth, the resurrected body will have agility, by which Thomas means the utter submission of the body to the soul, so that we'll be able to accomplish what we want, travel where we want, be with whom we want, in the wink of an eye. As he says, at the speed of thought, think of how quickly you think of something That it can be true. You know, if I think now, boy, I'd love to be with this, you know, buddy of mine who lives back in Chicago. All I got to go through, you know, from buying plane tickets and flying five hours and getting into buses and cars and getting to a hotel and to go through all of that. Thomas says in the glorified body, we'll be able to do what we want when we want the body utterly submissive to the soul. And finally, the glorified body will have, and we see it in the the Transfiguration account, it'll have clarity or luminosity. Isn't it curious that we associate holiness automatically with light, that we place halos around the pictures of our saints? Light, luminosity. So the resurrected body will have this quality. You know, friends, as we make our way through the long sort of slog of, of Lent, which is meant to symbolize the long slog through life, we're permitted today, even encouraged, to think of the glorious transfiguration toward which all of us are moving. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.